And good evening, good morning, and good afternoon to our loyal listeners out there, wherever you may be on this rotating globe, we sometimes refer to as Mother Earth. Mother Earth will be part of the discussion tonight because these ET experiments uh, may be tapping into the Earth's aura, otherwise known as the Schumann Resonance, and we'll get to that a bit later. Uh, first, I got a few shout-outs, and the first one goes to, oh, my name is Jonathan Womack. Uh, for those who are not familiar with me, Richard is out tonight, and I want to send a shout-out to him. He's in New Mexico. They have these wildfires going on, and, and the valley where he lives is full of smoke and other unhealthy particulates, so his voice is... Um, yeah, it's not so good. He's, uh, he's having a tough time. So I'm going to fill in for him tonight, and hopefully uh, he'll be back tomorrow or at the worst next weekend. And I also want to send a shout-out to our friend and colleague, Georgia Lambert. She's a regular on the show. Um, wonderful lady. We love her dearly. Today's her birthday, so happy birthday, Georgia. And Good health and wellness to you. And thirdly, uh, I want to send out a, a private shout out to my mother. Her birthday was about 10 days ago. She turned 90. And we had a big party two weeks ago at the local church. And it was like 75 people. And it was really fun and cool. And But she was hoarse afterwards. And the next day she couldn't talk. And now two weeks later she still cannot she hasn't got her voice back, so um, let's send her a get well wish, and hopefully she will she will get better. So tonight my guests are Maria Wheatley, David Sarita, Thomas Mathers, and we're going to continue our analysis of these ET receptions that we've been getting since December. So for those of you who are new. We sent a signal out to Amuamua, an encoded message. We got some crazy message back. And we've been repeating this, uh, sending the signals from Stonehenge, courtesy of Maria Wheatley. And that's what we'll be reviewing tonight, is that uh, not only her hour and 20-minute uh, recording but also the recordings of a few other people, Richard, uh, our friend Ralph, and uh, another person who I don't know, his name is Paul, who went out in the woods and meditated and recorded the message. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, that's tonight's show. And I'd like to first bring on Maria and have her talk about her plans to go to the King's Chamber at the Great Pyramid and send our encoded message and record any signals that she got back and what happened and, uh, you know, circumstances changed all that and Richard suggested a backup plan and on and on. So Maria will, will share all that. And the way to get to the show page is to visit our website online www.theothersideofmidnight.com and 
you'll see a banner for tonight's show, Maria's Continuing Adventures in ET Communications. You can click on that, and it takes you to tonight's show page. And there you will find the various bios and uh, items that we'll be discussing tonight. Now, for folks, I'm not sure if um, we're going to have callers tonight during the last half hour, but um, let's throw it out there. The number to call, uh, 917-889-8802. If you have a question or a comment you'd like to add, that's 917-889-8802. And that's uh, the last half hour of the show. So let's get started. Um, I'm going to read a bit about Maria here. She's quite an interesting soul. She's a second-generation dowser who was taught by European master dowsers, her late father, and Chinese geomance. She is a leading authority on geodetic earth energies, ley lines, and stone circles. Maria is an accomplished author of books on sacred sites and dowsing. And moving down to the end of her bio there, it says, Maria teaches advanced dowsing techniques, which are not taught anywhere else in the world. And you can read her full bio there on the show page. So without further ado, welcome back to the show, Maria. How are you? Yes, I'm very well. Thank you, Jonathan. Now, tell us about your plans to travel to Egypt with your friend Brian Forster, and then you decided to do this side trip to the King's Chamber um, that coincides with our ET communication research. So what is the deal? Well, I was due to fly out to Cairo to join Brian Forster and Patricia Arian on, uh, on a tour that was going to be from the 18th of March, which happened to coincide with my full moon birthday. Uh, and we were going to be traveling around uh, all the sites of ancient Egypt until the 1st of April. And I was thoroughly looking forward to going to Egypt, as I always do. But uh, a few days before departure, uh, unfortunately, I tested uh, positive for COVID and came down with COVID-like symptoms, which came on quite fast. Just a few hours after texting Patricia Arian, the main organizer of the trip, she too came down with COVID. And the following day, Brian Forrester contacted me and he tested positive oh. for COVID. So there was no way uh, I was going to be able to join the tour and, and nobody really could join the tour due to uh, to COVID. I've never been on a tour before where all of the tour leaders become ill. So it was quite something. So the, the trip, as far as I can, I was concerned, and Brian and Patricia was a no-go. Yeah, what are the odds of that happening? They're fairly astronomical. So your feeling was that this was a good thing, and you you mentioned that you had some sort of, um, I don't want to say apparition, but you felt like maybe you received a kind of paranormal warning from your father. Is that true? 
That's right. I was having a paranormal activity in my house for quite quite some time. Communication mainly through my lights. Uh, I have, you know, side lamps like we all do and, and fairy lights uh, in, in my home as well. And each time I was talking either on, a, on the phone or even text on my phone about Egypt, the lights kept flashing on and off quite dramatically. So I felt that something was, you know, going to be amiss as it were. I didn't think it would be my own health uh, at all. But yes, it was it was it was a very it was very strange, and the tour was saved by by a lady. They had to fly in from America, who took over the entire tour, and they've mm. never, in their experience, known all of the, the the tour leaders to go down. So something very strange was happening, you know, uh, in the ethers, as it were. Wow, that is strange. And I also want to mention that. Uh, Kinthea is with us tonight in the background, and uh, if you want to jump in, Kinthea, feel free to do that, because um, I really miss having you around on the show. <laughs> so, now, what were you expecting when, if you did make it to the King's Chamber, did you have expectations in regards to sending and receiving radio signals? Yes, I mean, that was uh, going to be, for me, uh, one of the highlights of, of the trip, not only just being in the King's Chamber, which is always a highlight by itself, and the Queen's Chamber and the Subterranean uh, Chamber as well, within the Great Pyramid of Giza, but to communicate through what we have been doing from the King's Chamber, you know, it, it, it would have been quite profound, I, I felt, uh, uh, quite a special uh, transmission because uh, David, as as we know, has been doing calculations regarding these transmissions and the pyramid uh, encodement has featured greatly. So I felt that what, whatever the transmissions were telling us or guiding us in some way or some manner, it would have been greatly received from one of the most iconic places on the planet yeah it, this is it would have been an unprecedented experiment because nobody's ever done this right exactly it would have been something you know quite quite great uh, in its own worth and merit yeah and toward the end of the show um i'd like to talk about where you folks think we should we should go next and I, I have some input on that as well so um, now once the the mission <laughs> uh, the travel to e Egypt was cancelled I guess Richard came up with a backup plan is that right that's right. I mean, I, I did become, you know, quite uh, quite ill uh, initially with with COVID, and uh, I do have, unfortunately, uh, a blood disorder, which means I run a risk of having a stroke at any time, let alone Ooh. without. Uh, uh, it's light in fact five. Uh, I suffer from so. Um, when I did become quite ill, I was hospitalized for a couple of days to maintain oxygen levels uh, within within my blood system. And again, quite 
um, strangely, Patricia Arwian was admitted to hospital and she too was on uh, was on oxygen uh, as well. And what what's the chances of, of that occurring? Uh, but afterwards, I, I soon started to pick up uh, and, and regain uh, some degree of health back, you know, thank the gods of that. And and so yeah, so I, I I became quite quite a lot better, and then Richard uh, and I communicated and decided to carry on because it's a spring equinox, and like we've been discussing previously, uh, through the eightfold year of the ancient Celtic calendar, these are the days when the the veil, which is already thinning, uh, becomes its thinnest on these gateway portal days. Uh, so that was a, a date we decided to go ahead with. As Can I stop you there? Sure. Eightfold. I, I know about the two equinoxes and the two solstices. Are you saying there are four other dates that have significance in, you know, solar alignments and this kind of thing? Or Yes. Uh, to the Druid and Wiccan community, uh, and indeed to the Neolithic going back 5,000 years, there were eight days of significance. We have the equinoxes of the spring and autumn. We have the solstices of the summer and winter. They are called the cross days and they create uh, in the zodiac uh, a cross. And then in between those uh, days, you have the cross quarter days of May the 1st, Beltane, and then Lammas, the 1st of August, the start of the Celtic year, which is Samhain, which is November the 1st, and it's Eve, New Year's Eve is celebrated on Halloween, and uh, which was Christianized to Halloween. And then we have the 1st of February, which is Imbolc. And those eight days have always been celebrated. And even if you go back to 5,000 years ago in the Neolithic period of our long history on the British Isles, then you have monuments aligned to that sunrise or to that sunset. So they were very, very sacred days uh, for our ancestors old. My goodness. Yeah, see, I always imagine if I'm um, above the sun looking down on the solar system and I see the Earth circling the sun, um, like the 12 o'clock position, the 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, the 9 o'clock position, those are when you have these alignments. Well, there's actually eight altogether. That's, I, I didn't know that. I have to adjust my model now. That's cool. We call it the wheel of the year, and it's uh, it's the the cycle of of time. And uh, to the to the ancients, there were very special days. For for example, a lot of people confuse uh, the summer solstice to Midsummer's Day. Uh, they're they're two separate events. Uh, the the summer solstice is roughly around the 21st of June, but three days later, the sun starts to sink a little bit lower. That's Midsummer's Day. And Midsummer's Eve is a point where the thin is at its most thinnest. The veil is at its most thinnest, rather. And that's a very sacred day. So you, you have a few little days in between the eightfold year, but uh, they're very sacred times. Yeah, that's cool, because that all fits in with Richard's hyperdimensional physics, um, that the rotation of the planets around the sun is affecting the torsion field, which affects 
all of us on Earth, and um, it's a very mechanical thing and scientific thing. It's not anything bizarre, or, you know. Astrology, there's really something to it, and so Richard's idea was to for you to grit your teeth, get out of bed, <laughs> and go and go down to Stonehenge on the equinox and save the, you know, salvage the experiment. Uh, since you wouldn't be going to Egypt, he asked you to go to Stonehenge and send the signal. Is that right? That's right. So we decided that we would uh, go to Stonehenge, which is always a pleasure and a grace anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful landscape. And I have been there, I don't know how many times, hundreds of times. But each time I go, it has its own signature, its own energy on a particular day. So it's always uh, a pleasure. Although getting out of bed at four o'clock in the, in the morning when you're not feeling too good <laughs> yeah. uh, was, was something. Think, but uh, but yes, it was it was a, a very still day here in the UK in uh, in the wonderful kingdom of Wessex. So it was very still, and there was something quite. It felt quite a special day. It's a special day anyway, but there was something in the background that was uh, that was telling me it's it's going to be a special day. So it was a pleasure uh, going to the Salisbury Plain. So you go down there, the sun's not up yet, it's dark. You're you're there, are you by yourself? You have a companion um, and you send the signal, which is an encoded message. And the message is, it's nothing really mysterious. It's just encoded with um, common mathematics and tones and Morse code and things that we believe in ET civilization would recognize as an intelligent message so you send our little encoded message out uh, from your radio on 432 megahertz channel. And then you record, you set the recorder to catch anything that might come back. And did you indeed receive a signal back? Well, I, start, I started off uh, by a place called Winterbourne Stoke Roundabout, which is an ancient burial ground. Is this uh, your for, items? Uh, no. Okay. No, no but that's, that's where uh, I, start, I started from, which is very uh, close to Stonehenge, but is, um, a it's about 6,000-year-old long barrow there with very, very unique barrows. Uh, it's one of the finest in, in, in Wessex, actually. And Wessex is a mighty area. We call it Wessex because it, it spans a few counties, what you would call states. And it, it, it's, it's very ancient. It goes back to the uh, time of the Saxons, uh, King Alfred. Uh, King Alfred the Great, and he got all the counties together, and we call it Wessex. Uh, and so uh, Wessex is the 
the motherland of all the sites of Stonehenge, Avebury and Cranbourne Chase. You have the magnificent burials of the Bronze Age in, in Wessex it's, itself. And, and that particular uh, burial ground has many diverse types of barrows. You have a long barrow, a disc barrow, a round barrow. It's magnificent. It was very dark there uh, to begin with. And then I moved on to Stonehenge uh, itself. And because it's the equinox, you have a lot of people around uh, as well. So there were people that were celebrating the, the equinox outside of Stonehenge itself as well. So it had a, a, a kind of merry feel about it. Yeah, there must have been some excitement in the air. And then you, you send the recording before the sun rises above the horizon. Is that right? That's right. And it, like I said, there was something very special about that day. It was still, uh, you know, like on one of those mornings where we, we say in the UK, I'm sure you have the, saying, the same saying in the United States, you feel like a pin can drop. There's something very still uh, in, in the background. And uh, the weather was very still. And there was there was hardly any wind. And bearing in mind all the other transmissions have been done in like gale force, uh, very strange weather conditions. This was so, so clement and so, so still. It was it was very beautiful. And, and when the sun came up, it looked magnificent. Oh, man, I, I wish we had some video or a picture. I'd love to see that. And I remember on February 4th when you went there. The weather was slashing rain and wind, and you're out there in this hail, and it's a bit crazy. Yes. And, and then you go on the equinox, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. Both of them are these very sacred days. We started off on Imbolc proper, which is when the sun in the position of the astrological zodiac is exactly 15 degrees Aquarius. That's uh, Imbolc, dedicated to the goddess Breed over here, uh, quite often Christianized to Bridget. So that's uh, one of those portal days. And then the spring equinox follows that. And yes, the, the weather was much kinder. I can remember being at Stonehenge on Imbolc for Richard, and I actually couldn't feel my fingers holding the, <laughs> holding the radio and thinking, oh my goodness, uh, I want to, to get into uh, the warm. Yeah, crawl back into bed. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I want people to understand that this is an experiment that's never been done before, and the results are something that's never been heard before either, because I believe that what we are hearing in the reception that you recorded is the ringing of these stones and that the various stones ring at different frequencies. There's some that are ringing right, <clears throat> right around 432 Hertz, and then others ring higher <clears throat> There's a couple of times during this one hour and 21 minute recording where it sounds like all of the stones are singing, but all throughout the, the one hour and 20 minutes, these tones come and go where you get this kind of thing where you can hear the stones ringing. And to my knowledge, 
this has never been done before and and no one i would say no one on earth today has ever heard the stones ringing in this way so when i heard your recording maria i was like whoa and 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 one of my items in fact i i put a picture of a an indian singing bowl because it reminded me of someone taking that wooden handle and they run it around the edge of the singing bowl and the bowl vibrates and makes this wonderful sound. And it just sounded like Maria took this wooden handle and she's ringing it around Stonehenge, you know, right around the rocks. And it's, and it's vibrating just like the bowl and it's making this sound. And that's the impression I got when I, I first looked at your recording, but you didn't, you probably didn't hear that when you're recording. Were you listening to it as it's recording, or did you hear any of that during the experiment? That's that's absolutely phenomenal what you're saying. I mean, this is a world first. I mean, most people that go to Stonehenge see the stones, they don't hear the stones. So that, that's that, that's very very remarkable. And I've only ever heard the stones at Avebury ring once, the one which I'll describe later. But for me, uh, you know, uh, listening to to the the radio and the recordings, I didn't hear anything uh, ringing. The the one of the radios was kind of going quite wild at one point, and I was thinking, you know, what what's going on there? And obviously, I wait to hear, you know, the experts like yourself and and Thomas and and David, you know, interpret that which has been recorded. So for me, I was thinking something is happening, but I, I had no idea that the stones, as you describe, were chiming, as it were. That's that's incredible. Well, it makes me wonder, uh, because you say there's a ley line that connects the Great Pyramid with Stonehenge. They lie on this. And I had to wonder if the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, as well as any other, um, I don't know if uh, the Kaaba is on that line or not, but I imagine any sacred site that is on that line was probably rigging like the Stonehenge was. Do you think there could be something to that? I think so because if we if we imagine that the the lays the lay network is a connective system from one site to another and energy travels very fast along a straight line which has been known since the ancient Chinese geomants we recorded such uh, in in their writings so yes I think there's that that connection and you know we often think of the again we think of the physical connection between places like Stonehenge and and Egypt but now we're thinking about it in in terms of sound the the monuments almost like speaking to one another uh, transmitting sound to one another is uh, is another new dynamic that uh, brings the the monuments alive yeah and it fits in with my my research of Archer's National Park and delicate arch where it appears to me that the the arch or the portal and the solar alignments and these acoustical amphitheaters that are tangent to the arch and a reflection pool 
So you have all these elements. You've got sound. I'm calling it photonic acoustics, for lack of a better term, because it seems that the sound and the sun, you know, prana or whatever you want to call it, the, the sound and the sun and the water. Uh, there's a movie called The Secret Life of Water. I, I want to see that movie because I, I think there's something with the water going on, too, at Delicate Arch. And all of these things together activated the arch. And, and where I'd like to go next is to have someone go to Delicate Arch on the summer solstice and send our encoded message into the arch and you know maybe sing too because i think people should sing into the arch nobody sings on these tourist videos you see on youtube they they go to the arches and you know they it's like you maria they go in the morning and they watch the sun come up in the arch and it's beautiful but nobody is singing and i we need some people to go to, go to the arch and send our signal in there and and I think we'll get something back very profound. But yes, and, and I also feel that, you know, the long-skulled people that were, you know, worshipping and using and utilising Stonehenge could hear on many different levels, uh, you know, more so than, than ourselves. And there, there's myths about Stonehenge. You're talking about singing, Jonathan. They're called the Perpetual Choirs. And it was recorded uh, in the Welsh Triads. That's a kind of ancient Celtic chronicle that there were people singing at Stonehenge Stonehenge, 24 hours a day, they were the perpetual choirs. So I think there is something to do with, with singing. And a lot of the groups that I take in do love chanting and reflecting on those perpetual choirs that, uh, that was recorded and part of our ancient holy history. Wow, I've never heard of that. Let's pick up on that when we come back from the break. You're listening to... The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Jonathan Womack, your host. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Take a look at what is going on with us now. You have vax or no vax, you have mandates or no mandates, you have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make uh, pres prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that, that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, something really inappropriate's gone on here we're being controlled i mean it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these and another thing to shut people up who say i would like to talk about this a little bit no you don't you're not going to talk and and so we have uh you know people like uh, dr mercola being shut down that is not 
us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion and and have uh, say uh, i'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you so here are the things for a good immune system but i'm sorry you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to so something's going on so that my friend is going to be exposed that's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever so it's there now but believe me it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about of both women and kids for priests and all, it's here in an ugly way, and eventually it's going to be seen. Christ says there'll be revelations, there may be even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco, that they were, of course, addicting our children, and they had a cartoon, and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore hi there this is lee carroll i want to tell you about the other side of the news in these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening that's where the other side of the news is different and in that you're going to hear not only controversy but you're going to hear great things there are going to be joyful things too i just got done with one of the broadcasts and i encourage you to take a listen with myself and monica but the other side of the news that's what we need more of in these times Okay, and we are back. I'm here with Maria Wheatley. We're discussing Stonehenge and its resonance. And I'd like to share a story that's related to what Maria said just before the break there, which just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, I've just had this uh, image of people singing into the arches in Arches Park out in Utah. And I watch a lot of the tourist videos on YouTube, and this one travel guy has a bunch of followers. He goes to the parks and films it and walks around. So he's at this one area that nobody ever goes. There's many areas that people just don't even go. They don't have names or anything, and I'm finding all these temples, and it's, it's ridiculous. But um, So he's standing near this small arch, and an arch is... Um, identified by being at least one meter, any arch that's one meter or larger qualifies as an arch. And there's, there's some 2,000 arches in Arches Park. So he comes up to this uh, three-foot wide arch. It's small. It's just on the ground. And, you know, he can stand on top of it. So he kind of steps up on it, and he's talking. And then he stops, and he, he goes, what, what was that? And he goes, Echo, echo. Did you guys hear that? I've never heard that before. What is that? And, you know, I'm sitting in my chair yelling at the screen, going, dude, sing, sing into it. Come on. Of course, he can't hear me. So he just kind of goes, wow, that is really strange. And he goes on and continues his, his travel video. But, um, that's the closest I've come to, to anyone 
actually realizing that these portals are special and if you sing or talking to them so right before the break maria you were talking about can can you just repeat what you were saying because um i kind of swallowed hard when you said that these perpetual choirs can can you talk more about that yes in the what's called the welsh triads uh they're kind of chronicles of ancient times that were um, recording of our, our past history, there were three perpetual choirs. One was in Stonehenge, one was at a place called Glastonbury, which is a very sacred place, and the other one was near Lanwit Major in Wales. And it was Io McGonwy, he was um, translating these triads of Britain, and it was stated that in each of these three choirs there were 24,000 saints, that is, there were a hundred for every hour of the day and the night in rotation, perpetually wow. singing the praise and service of God without rest or intermission, was oh recorded by McGonwy. And other authors picked up on that, like the, the late, and many would say the great John Michelle, he wrote about the perpetual choirs. And then it created a geometry across the British Isles, which we call Albion, it's his ancient British name. And so across Albion, you had all to create a massive tenfold geometry that was described by John Michel. And so in our mythology, you have all of the perpetual choirs, 24,000 saints or, or ancients singing the praise of the wonder of creation every hour of the day. So Stonehenge would have been a very a place where these songs, this praise was being perpetually said and linked into places like Glastonbury and, uh, and in Wales itself, which is the source of the blue stones from Stonehenge. So there's another, another link. So it was probably back then a wondrous time to hear Stonehenge aloud. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. I, yeah, I never knew that. And you just wonder if the stones were ringing like they are in your recording and if it was actually audible to the naked ear. Um, I, I wonder if that's even possible. I don't know because um, we're hearing, I think we're hearing these ringing on your recording. We're actually hearing it ring through the ether uh, as opposed to 3D time space. But yeah, I don't know. Um, they're definitely ringing, though. They are resonating like crazy, and uh, we'll get to that in a bit. So why don't uh, we bring in David Sarita next and, and get his take on some of this here. And David, as uh, our regular listeners know, he's a, a regular guest on the show, and um, he's been providing some very fascinating data these past few months and his items are there on the show page. You can check them out. So, David, um, do you want to add anything to what Maria has said? Oh, yeah. I, I, um, I want to take people through kind of a visualization of the speed of sound and the speed of electromagnetic energy or radio frequencies. And the speed of sound in air so you imagine a stone is ringing 
and the speed of sound in the air would travel at 767 miles an hour. However, the speed of sound through the Earth's um, crust and actually through granite is about 13,000 miles an hour. And then the speed of sound in water is about um, 2,800 miles an hour, for example. Wait, 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 so, wait hold it. Back, back up. The, the speed of sound, or, or Mach 1, is 767 miles per hour. Yeah. Miles per hour. And but when saying, sound moves through a medium, so in fact, the more dense the medium gets, the faster it moves. So it moves at over 13,000 miles an hour through granite. And, and bluestone would be approximately the same. In fact, the more dense, like, like uh, tungsten, would be the fastest metal that sound moves through. That's why when you ring a metal bar, like an aluminum bar, the, the vibrations are, I mean, I've, I've, done, I've spent a lot of time on this physically working with different metals and measuring the frequencies that it, that, that it acoustically gives off, but also calculating how long a piece of metal has to be to produce a, a particular frequency. And when you get into shorter pieces of solid material, the frequency it gets higher, but it's the resistance too, which impedes upon that incredibly fast frequency in, in a solid material. Actually, um, it the, the shorter it gets, the, the 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 resistance increases. So it's really an amazing science. So try to visualize why the stones are sitting in these open plains instead of you know on a rocky hillside and. And, and try imagine when you drop drops of water, you know, or drop pebbles into water, you get all these waves traveling away from, in, in a circular fashion or a holographic fashion around where you drop the stone and in the water. Don't forget the underground that Maria talks about, these underground aquifers. I'm imagining the sound must go through the earth down into the underground waterways right well yeah the water moves about four four point three times as fast as through the air but then when you get into the for example a seismic wave is a sound wave because it's a pressure wave they're they're moving over thirteen thousand miles an hour so that means it goes halfway around the planet in one second but then an electromagnetic wave which which generates the Tesla Schumann resonance due to lightning strikes stimulating electromagnetic waves, they'll go around the planet over seven times a second, right? So, so that means that the speed of sound in a, in the solid crust of the Earth. Imagine when a seismic event occurs, all these erect stones from Karnak in France to all the megalithic sites to Stonehenge, they're vibrating. And in response to that super fast wave moving through the Earth's crust. Yes. And then because they're piezoelectric, they'll give off a radio wave because, because they are semiconductive and conductive material stones. When you vibrate a crystal, it emits a radio frequency. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In reverse... If I stimulate the stone with a with a 
electromagnetic frequency, such as using the radio at a particular frequency, we're sending out these transmissions, then the inverse happens, but it's much weaker. It's very, very weak, but the inverse happens. That's, that's reverberation, right? So sound has pressure, it has particle velocity, it has sound intensity, sound power, sound energy, sound energy density, and it has acoustic impedance and audio frequency. That's sound. But sound is, is a pressure wave, which means like in space where there's, there's an extremely low density um, environment in space, you can't hear sound acoustically because there's not enough resistance to, to create pressure. Right. So, so the inverse of pressure. So what I'm trying to say is inversely, when you vibrate a stone, it emits an electromagnetic holographic wave. Now notice again, these stone structures are sitting on these flat planes and they're not, which means it's a very clean environment for them to radiate out a holographic um, picture of themselves at, at the speed of light, because that's what piezoelectricity response would be. But then the sound wave that moves through the earth that can stimulate those stones is going almost 13,000 miles an hour. And then if the stones were sitting in an aqueous environment, then then th that would be somewhere around 2,900 miles an hour. So so sound is is a bit of it's it's quite. There's all these differentials to its function, meaning there that one wave is traveling in the air at 767 miles an hour. Then your electromagnetic response is the speed of light, and then your pressure wave going through the through the earth is, is around 13,000 miles an hour. So, so what you're saying is that not only is the earth covered in these ley lines where energy travels and flows, there are also all these stones and places are connected by sound. Well, exactly, because, they're, they're, because if you ring one, you're going to ring all of them because they're 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 sitting erect above the surface of the earth on these flat planes and 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 if they were buried into hillsides they wouldn't produce the resonance that they would with these stones you know poking out above the surface of the earth so i think that it is it is like a giant musical apparatus in a way frequency musical apparatus and they they are functioning and they're and now I can understand how they're connected. Like I did an experiment. I went to Arches Park with my kids and my wife years ago, and we, we were measuring the the circles in Chaco Canyon with a Leica laser. And I found a perfect holy of holies. And which is, uh, let me go back. Let me go back because when you when we're talking about the Great Pyramids, King's Chamber and Queen's Chamber, the King's Chamber is ten by twenty perfect cubits, the, the perfect cubit that I've mentioned on the show earlier, which is 20.601 inches per, per cubit. Now, that's the same measurement as Moses's tabernacle, which was which consisted of a rectangular tent, 10 by 20 cubits, which was called the holy place. 
And the Holy of Holies was 10 by 10 cubits, perfect cubits, which is the same measurement as the Queen's Chamber in the Great Pyramid, exactly. And we, we know from the, the studies in mathematics that the ancient, the God of the prophets was using the same perfect cubit that the Great Pyramid was built on. So that means Moses' Holy of Holies and his holy place were identical measurements to the Great Pyramid King and Queen's Chamber. Now, if that is universal, which it appears to be, uh, and, and remember, the Ark of the Covenant sits inside of the Holy of Holies, that cubic space, and that would be the Queen's Chamber, and the staff of Aaron lay in the Ark of the Covenant, which is inside of the Holy of Holies, and the, measure, the measurement of the staff is the same as the Ark of the Covenant because it weighs in the covenant. So that's two and a half cubits. And the, and a wavelength coming off of a monopole antenna, two and a half cubits is times four, would be 10 cubits, which would be the Holy of Holies because that's 10 cubits. And that's the Queen's Chamber. So do you think so the priests were in the King's Chamber singing at different times of the well, year? Well, that's what I'm saying. See, the staff would as a monopole antenna would receive and transmit at a wavelength exactly the same dimensions as the queen's chamber, which is the holy of always in Moses's tabernacle. Now at the time of Solomon, it, it all increases by two, which is an octave musically, right? An octave is times two. So in Solomon's temple, the holy of always is 20 by 20 by 20 cubits and the holy place is 20 by 40. Right, so it's now bigger than what's in the Great Pyramid, but but it started at the same exact measurement. Which if I could, if I could just in, sort of uh, interrupt, hey guys, yeah, um, you know, just kind of you know, extending off of what you've been talking about. I mean, I think the interesting thing that David's kind of talking about is that you know you're taking a look at these these specific dimensions the dimensions themselves end up creating these special ratios. So when we're talking about the holographic sort of matrix, we kind of get this sort of scalar effect. So when we're talking about, you know, what is so important of these geographical locations on this planet? Well, you know, our planet basically is a giant magnet. So you have a toroidal uh, energy field that's kind of coming out. And it seems as though the ancients that were building these 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 sites sort of knew where some of this energy was kind of flowing out of this toroidal field in in higher um, sort of quantities. It's very scalar. I mean, you can take this, you know, looking all the way down to like a, a proton, you know, a proton, you know, so small still has a very similar field. The uh, the energetic field that comes out of a human being has this toroidal structure. So, you know, basically the, you know, this, this, these, these uh, frequencies, these sacred frequencies are alluding to um, a special geometry that can have some type of an effect onto the holographic field or the ether, or whatever you want to call it. So what's interesting is that, you know, in the, in the Gnostic texts and, and what David's talking about, you know, when you take a look at these ratios and these geometries, um, you know, whether they're doubled, you know, in an octave format or things like that, you know, nature seems to always kind of gravitate towards these fundamental um, mathematical ratios, whether you're at the smallest of smalls going all the way up to the largest of large, whether you're talking about a planet or a solar system or a galaxy or or things like that. So, um, 
yeah, I just I just wanted to sort of add that that you know there is this kind of mathematical and and geometric um, correlation, um, you know, that's been documented, and we see the physical remnants of that just by the sheer geographic positionings of some of these ancient sites that are located around the world. Yeah, indeed, the Stonehenge, uh, according to Maria's upcoming book, she talks about ratios that are encoded into Stonehenge. Can you touch on that for us, Maria? Maria, are you there? Yes, the, yes, yes, sorry, uh, yes. The, yeah, there no, are lots of different The types. ratios, the, hey, before she starts, ratio transcends frequency because ratio establishes harmony or disharmony. So I just want to put that in there. Good point, yes. Maria? Yes, I mean, the, the what the ancients were doing at places like uh, Stonehenge, I mean, we can have all of the logical understanding of an ancient site through measurements and through uh, encodements, but the experience is what I think the ancients were aiming at with the stones. And the blue stones, for example, are highly acoustic. If you go to their source, uh, and there are many different quarries that have now been known other than Khan Many. So we're going to go to the source of the blue stones at Stonehenge. Then you can play them like a musical instrument. So uh, there's and there's lots of videos on YouTube with that. They ring. You only have to tap uh, a blue stone, which is spotted dolerite or ry rhyolite. Uh, at places like uh, Rossafellin in Wales, then then you can get these amazing sounds back just literally by tapping them like a drum. So when you went through the original uh, entrance to Stonehenge and you enter the blue stone phase, we can envision that the ancients were allowing them to ring. I have a piece of blue stone in my in my home, a very large piece of blue stone that was actually worked by ancient man and made flat. Uh, 6,000 years ago. And you only have to tap that slightly and it rings this amazing sound. And when you're stood for the experience by a bluestone when it's ringing, it vibrates through your whole being in a cleansing manner. That's incredible. See, when you oh. talk about ringing a stone, that's what piezoelectricity is. See, when you, it's a pressure wave. Piezo means pressure. And when you when you apply pressure to a crystal, which a stone is, it will emit a very weak radio frequency wave. So you're not only producing a sound wave, you're also producing an electromagnetic wave. That's why I was trying to tell you the different velocities of all these different waves. And then the inverse is you can hit a stone with an electromagnetic wave and the reverse function will happen. And so they're they're very very sensitive instruments, and if they're if the proportions are correct, like for example, let's say let's say we disagree in the Ark of the Covenant, which sits in the middle of the Holy of Holies, which cubit to use because everybody has different cubits. It actually doesn't matter because your ratio remains the same. So if I use a 16 inch cubit or an 18 inch cubit or a 20.601 inch cubit um, and the arc is one and a half by one and a half by two and a half it doesn't matter the unit of measure the ratio is one to 1.6666666 
and and that remains the same regardless of the measure and it's it's the same in a way with proportion of frequencies if your proportion is correct it's still going to sound harmonic i've actually tested this with with tone generators you can come up with any fictitious number for tone number one and as long as tone number two and three are proper proportion it's all going to sound wonderful it's really amazing how that works now when we were in chaco canyon and went to the arches park my family and we pitched our tent right you know in the in the campground right where some of the most beautiful arches are we, I took a string and I made, I used a Leica laser. I did this exact. And my kids and I set a circle of stones in a perfect holy of holies. And I pitched my tent right in it. And I meditated in my tent that night. And this was such a psychedelic experience. I mean, this is fully psychedelic and visual, but I'm not using any plants or anything like that. I'm just meditating. I was able to travel through the arch and on the other side, I went to actual paradise. It was paradise earth. I was in a whole other world. There was all these beautiful colors everywhere, tremendous bliss and ecstasy. And then I would come back to our side. And then it would be the, the same boring earth that we have now in the same world government leaders. Then I would go to the other side of the arch and I was in this paradise earth place. And I saw this full psychedelic. It was not... Um, it's nothing in my mind. There's no way to describe what it was. So like. you entered the multiverse, basically. It's like I entered the parallel higher. I mean, I know a woman who did uh, this plant, this plant-based medicine called iboga, and she described something very similar, where this rectangle appeared in front of her, and her her niece had died, and she went to the other side, and it was Earth, but it was paradise. It was it was a way better world than what's on this side of of the reality. So that, you know, that happened to me in Arches Park and, and it kept, I, I could go forward and backward in, in this full psychedelic vision as if somebody gave me the best plant medicine on earth, but they didn't. All I did, all I did is put the circle, I made a stone circle with my kids and I camped in the middle of it. Now I've also done on my own property i've buried magnets like 14 magnets in a perfect holy of holies under my grass and and amazing things have happened since i've done that since i created a perfect circle so i think these circles now tell me what you know about this maria i'd really like to know did they build these stone structures on top of ancient ancient crop circles that appeared from the other dimensional universe the same thing i'm talking about that happened to me in arches park did, did they see the imprint on the ground first and then put the stones there is there any evidence of well that? hold hold that thought and when we come back maria you can pick up on that uh we're gonna go take a break you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. I'm your host tonight, Jonathan Womack. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.